Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Carlin and welcome to What Happens Next. In this episode, we've gathered all the best tips from our experts about how we can all support and maybe even benefit from the opportunities space exploration offers. I think a permanent habitation of the moon in 10 years is, is highly probable. Going to Mars for, for visits, going to moon for visits, gonna change our view, I believe of what we are as human race. At some point in the future, the, the survival of the human race is going to have to be driven by space exploration. In billions of years from now, the, the sun is not going to be as tolerable for life as it is now. Astronomer Michael Brown is an Associate Professor of the School of Physics and Astronomy in the Monash Faculty of Science. Let's get some of his best tips. I'm Associate Professor Michael Brown. I'm an astronomer at Monash University, and I study how galaxies grow and evolve over cosmic time. Associate Professor Michael Brown, what would be mm -hmm. your best practical tips or advice for people who, A, want to learn more about space and want some sort of accessible information, but also for people who want to support the world's continued endeavour of space exploration? What would you recommend for those people? There's just a, there's a couple of different paths to go down, and I think it depends on what would motivate you and excite you, and what would connect you with the topic. So, you know, for some people, it might be about you know, reading magazines about space. It might be you know reading Sky and Telescope magazine or or reading about space exploration in space.com. Uh, it might be about um, you know, supporting science and writing to your member of parliament or, or to relevant senators about supporting science. Uh, for others to get excited, I think it might be about a, you know, a practical connection to astronomy and space. So perhaps for a, a couple of hundred dollars or perhaps even less secondhand getting a telescope and you know, looking at the moon for the first time with and seeing the craters and the mountains. And, and you can see that with a small telescope. A lot of people don't fully appreciate that. Or looking at uh, Saturn and seeing the rings. And you know, for, you know, I've got a secondhand telescope in my living room that I, I, I bought for my kids, and that was less than 100 bucks. And with that, you can see the rings of Saturn. Mm -hmm. And it, it's sort of very much like the, um, you know, it is like the publicity photos, right? Maybe not as sharp, maybe not as... as you know, beautiful, but it, it, it's there and you can see it with your own eyes. And maybe that's the way to connect with space and space exploration and astronomy, to have that be there in your own eyes. Um, so there's just many ways that it might connect. And I think it depends on how you experience the world and what motivates you and excites you and, and makes you want to get engaged with the science and, and also just the beauty of astronomy. Associate Professor Michael Brown, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Yasmina Lazanich-Galloway runs the most successful, massive, open online course ever run in Australia. It teaches people how to prepare for life on Mars. But rather than focus on Mars survival, Yasmina wants the course to help others be more creative in solving problems on Earth. Hi, my name is Yasmina Lajnjic-Galloway and I'm astrophysicist at the School of Physics and Astronomy at Monash University. My background is in high energy astrophysics, 
and my passion is in space exploration and interplay between science, society and art. Yes, Tamina, you are something of a space expert. What would you say are your best practical tips for or advice for people who maybe want to know more about space? Um, but, you know, they're just your average Joe. They're sadly never going to be the illustrious astrophysicist that you are. But they're really interested in sp- space exploration and learning more. Where would you suggest that they start? So there are many, many MOOCs at the moment, and uh, most of them are geared for people who don't know anything about the space. So um, I would say take take as many of those as you can, but also- And can anyone do them? Anybody, so, so there are MOOCs that everybody can do. Um, that, you know, there's always a free version which doesn't give you a certificate and then there's a version where you can pay a little bit if you want a certificate and this is where people who collect the micro-credentials, um, they just pay, they complete all the you know, quizzes and tasks and they get those. So that's the power of MOOCs. They're really there for you to learn, but I think they did revolutionize education because people can now... If they say what sociology is about, what engineering is about, what anthropology is about, they can just go and take a MOOC. And they're becoming shorter and shorter. You can have, you know, literally a two-week MOOC, which is literally just basic information of what this is all about. So I think they are revolutionized education, not in a way that were meant to or they were predicted in terms of shutting down universities and all the learning being online, but in terms of creating more uh, informed learners who can take few MOOCs here and there and then decide. So imagine a high school student taking uh, MOOCs here and there and then decide when actually when they come to university, they know exactly what they want to study. Rather than coming, not really understanding, uh, we still have some students who come to us and say, I don't really know what the difference is in physics and chemistry, for example, Mm. because science Mm. is taught quite integratively. So my, my suggestion is take as many MOOCs as you can. Go to the public events. We now have science galleries. We have one now in Melbourne. Um, they started in Dublin. Uh, they, ha- they have them in Venice, everywhere, where people try to merge art and science and try to present both and see, again, to show that art and science are the same thing. They're just trying to interpret the world around us, but they're all doing different ways. So there are many ways of people to engage and we don't need everyone to be scientists. We just need people to appreciate science and support it when it needs support. The same way we need appreciation for art and people to be able to support it and say, yes, it's important to have art, please fund it more. Otherwise, there'll be wild, wild west out there in space. Yes, Mina, thank you so much again. Thank you very much. Adam Gilmore is Australia's very own rocket man. His company, Gilmore Space Technologies, specialises in the development of small, low-cost rockets purpose-built for today's small satellites. He's also a Monash alumni from the Faculty of Business and Economics, and he joins us from his base on the sunny Gold Coast in Queensland. I'm Adam Gilmore. I'm the CEO of Gilmore Space Technologies. It's a company that's building rockets to take small satellites into space and our first launch should be in 2022. What tips or advice would you give um, to people who want to 
support space exploration or just learn more about it? Where should they go? What should they read? Who should they listen to? Sure. Um, I learned a heck of a lot from a NASA service called NTRS. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a library of, I think, 100,000 research reports about anything and everything to do with space technology and space exploration. And Just that's some light really, reading. Yeah, it's, 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 you can get a lot of information. There's a lot of information on the web. Um, mm. And I think it's important to do that because when you read all this stuff, that's when you start getting ideas about, hey, this paper's talking about a problem. I'm going to think about that and see if I can solve it. Mm. Or, you know, this paper's talking about a project that people are working on that they haven't figured it all out. So I, I would love people that come and apply to work for us to have done a lot of research on space already and come mm. quite aware of what's out there, what are the problems, what are the issues. And there's a lot. There's a lot of problems to solve. Mm. Um, what would be your advice to anyone who's interested in getting into STEM? Maybe there's some high school students listening or even some people that maybe want to have a career pivot. What advice would you give them? Start reading early. I mean, I was a banker. I did a banking and finance degree from Monash, right? And now I you know, run a rocket company. I'm the chief technology officer. So read, read as much yeah, as... I- I have to interrupt you on this because I don't understand. Did you, after you did banking and finance, did you then go and do an engineering or an IT or an astrophysics degree? How did you pivot like that? Well, I um, no, my greatest education in science is I did two maths, physics and chemistry in high school and then just mm. kept researching. I think um, you can learn a lot. One of the things I did as an example is when I got really serious, I went to some universities that did aero-astro degrees. They're all in the States. And yep. MIT actually, I don't know if they still do, but at the time they published their course uh, books. So I basically bought every single course book in the MIT aero-astro degree and read it. <laughs> and I, I think I understood at least half of it. And if I read it, I probably understand all of it. Yeah, wow. Okay. I mean, that is impressive. So I, I apologize, Adam, I did cut you off. I was asking you for your advice for people who want to get into STEM. Um, what, what, was your, what was your advice for those people? Yeah, I, my advice is to, to read and learn as much as you can, um, you know, on the internet. Um, and there's clubs you can join. Um, a lot of the universities have rocket clubs now. They're really good to join. Um, there's associations like there's a space association you can join. There's um, another association called the Australian Youth Aerospace Association or something like that, AYAA. Um, that's a great one to join um, because they do a lot of cool projects. They they collaborate with a lot of um, space agencies. You know, I've, I've gone to space conferences all over the world and seen Australian students at these AYAA things. So that's a good way to go as well. Adam, is there anything you can think of that space exploration could give us now or in the immediate future? Yeah, I think the biggest one is very relevant to our conversations that we're having at the moment with COVID. Everybody is, you know, at home or, you know, socially distancing. They're getting on the Zoom chats and there's consistent interruption to that. That's because the internet speed and capacity is very poor Uh, in our country and in other countries. So what's happening in space is there are two companies right now that are 
in the process of launching and have started launching small satellites to go into low earth orbit that will beam down broadband internet from space. There's going to be over 10,000 of these satellites orbiting in the next few years. And they're going to give broadband speeds of between two and three times faster than the NBN is now. Totally uninterrupted access from space. So, you know, if we are hopefully not in some kind of a COVID situation in, in, in two years time and we're all working from home, the communications is going to be so much clearer from these assets that are in space. I think we would all welcome that. Adam Gilmore, this has been absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure, Susan. Denitza Karacic leads the Space Habitat Studio as part of the Monash Bachelor of Architecture in the Faculty of Art Design and Architecture. She teaches first-year architecture students Batul Kaichi and Dima Scheinbohr about designing for entirely alien habitats. I'm Danica Karajic. I'm a, a PhD researcher and a tutor in architecture and interior architecture with interest in critical spatial practice, uh, art experimentation, research, uh, student workshops, and uh, performance architecture. Hi, my name is Dimas Shimbo. I'm a second year student at Monash Architecture. Other academic interests include psychology and sociology, and I want to find a way to apply them to architecture. Hello, my name is Betul Deniz Kayikçı. I am in second year of Bachelor of Architecture and I'm really interested in um, space architecture. To wrap it up, I want to ask all of you if you have any tips or advice for people who might want to apply some of these principles in their own lives or maybe interested in themselves thinking about what architecture in space might look like. Where would you recommend they start? Start from Earth because you are an earthly creature. You're an animal on Earth. So you have to not only respect it, but also also always be aware of where you come from. Nice. They can educate themselves on things like, you know, um, astrophysics and even um, starting from, you know, really fun concepts like, you know, look at black holes or neutron stars and then sort of understand why gravity works the way it does, why um, some, some things are produced in some planets and not others. And I think that information gives you some sort of confidence to tackle um, these uh, problems when building in space. So I think just educating yourself in that area um, in a fun way, it would be a great way to start. I guess I go back to what architecture is, no matter where it, where it is, uh, you know, what, what the context is. So uh, architecture, earth architecture, or space architecture, uh, there are uh, similar um, challenges. And one of them is to, to marry uh, all the different fields that architect has to take into consideration from, you know, like the knowledge you get uh, about architecture to, uh, independently uh, thinking ar just architecture and then art and then include crafts and civil engineering, sociology, history, psychology. I mean, there are many and, and the list uh, goes on. The, you know, the, the more we develop and the more we learn, the, the least of, of things uh, architects need uh, grows. Mm. And uh, that's where, you know, those, what I constantly repeat uh, when I work with students, where creative, critical, constructive, and conceptual uh, thinking become the key.
like I think those are the the skills and way of thinking all of us can and should uh, develop. And then in the context, when we, if we think about space architecture, um, I always see that that challenge of really displacing. Uh, uh, but I'm talking about now because we really don't. Average person have, has no idea what it feels to step. Uh, yeah. outside of of the physical limitations you know like where planet ends so we we have no idea uh, and there is this challenge to to try to displace ourselves from the world we know and to somehow imagine this by uh, through information we get through you know learning uh, through books or websites about, you know, like NASA has a great website um, uh, that we learn about space. And, you know, we can only imagine these things. And I guess that it, this is, it reminds us if we become playful, which is really important to, to start playing, you know, mm -hmm. like kids uh, have this amazing approach to, to learning. It is experimentation. You know, like they, yeah. they, they're taking things and testing and seeing what can happen. And I guess that uh, thinking about space architecture from perspective of, of being on the planet Earth, we can, we should play, we should be playful. And through that playfulness and, you know, testing our bodies, it, we are just reminded of how fragile and, and limited we are, you know, like physically, like our bodies and our minds uh, currently are uh, are limited. So if, you know, if nothing else, uh, thinking about space architecture is a great exercise. And I'm not yeah. talking about thinking, you know, in your head, but also through your body, trying to, to imagine, to trying to do the movement you think would, and, you know, so you can potentially feel a tiny bit of, of what you would felt uh, on, mm. on the moon or, or Mars or like anywhere else, but, but on earth. So it is, it is a great way to be more respectful to the, to the world around us and, and to try to imagine a different, different world. Mm. Well, yeah, I suppose we can imagine it like uh, Dima suggested and I could just try swinging around the trees like a yeah. gorilla and, you know, yeah. see, see if I can get some inspiration like that. Yeah, well, you can try. Look, that's easy to try if you have a back, uh, <laughs> backyard with the, you know, with the tree or two. Yeah, just with some vines should be easy to find. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I'm saying. Like we should we should go back to to we should learn more from our bodies about the world. Mm. You know the way we experience the world. It's not just what we see, and you know, like there is there is this great value that bodies in movement uh, offer us. Denitza, Dima and Batul, this has been incredibly interesting and quite exciting. Thank you so much for your time today, all of you. Thank you for having us. That's it for this episode and for this topic. As always, more information on what we talked about today can be found in the show notes. In the next episode, we'll take a look at the future of healthcare and what it might look like in a post-COVID world. I'll see you then on What Happens Next.